ever-present reality that we're fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. Our confidence is not in our circumstances, our abilities. Our confidence, God, is you. You are worthy of our worship. You are the Savior, and you are the Lord of our lives. And we're asking now, Lord, as we turn to your word, that you would, through the working of your spirit, take distraction from us and teach us that we might walk in your ways. For your glory, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, if you want to have a seat and find your Bibles, we are in Luke chapter 24. So if you want to turn to the very final part of Luke, Luke 24, that's where we're going to be this morning. Uh, I want to also tell you, if you haven't heard, that uh, football season is like just right around the corner, right? I mean, it is just about ready to get started. Now, if you're not a fan of football, you're like, oh no, it's back? Yeah, it is. And I want you to know, though, it'll only be here for a short time. This will be all over in a little less than six months, okay? That's all you have to do is ride through it, you know? And so like if you're missing some family members or like, they'll be back in six months. In fact, I'm going to give you a date. You might want to write this down and put it on your phone. February 11th, 2024, Okay. That's when the Super Bowl is, and you might be celebrating for other reasons, but just want you to know that will kind of be, it'll all wrap up, and then, you know, get started about two weeks later, right? Okay, but I just want you to know that if you're not a fan. But if you are a fan of football, if you are a rabid fan, there are certain characteristics. So, for instance, uh, you can identify a fan because they're wearing team colors. They go to the games, and if they can't go to the games, they watch them. They'll reorient their entire schedule around games, okay? Uh, they are what we might say emotionally engaged, okay? Sometimes too much so, okay? I mean, like, you've got to be kidding. Like, what's, are you okay? But then another sign of a diehard fan is they're loyal to the core, and they know something about the players and the coaches and the game itself, okay? Those are characteristics of a diehard football fan. But have you ever considered what are the characteristics of someone who knows Jesus as Lord? Are there some identifiable traits that Jesus develops in the lives of those who know him as Lord? And indeed they are. In fact, they are all found in this final passage in the Gospel of Luke. These words are written under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit so that we will know what Jesus is seeking to cultivate in the lives of all of those who know him as Lord. And the first one is is that you are convinced of his resurrection. Now, let me just kind of bring you up to speed of where we're at. We have been going through the Gospel of Luke all summer. We have seen the perfect life of Jesus, his wisdom, his miracles, his power, his demonstrated deity. But then remember, the Jewish people, the leaders, handed him over to be crucified. And so the perfect eternal Son of God, who had entered into humanity, as we saw in Luke chapter 2, took on flesh and bone, then became the perfect sacrifice for sin. Having lived a perfect life, fulfilled all in the law, all the law, he then dies on a cross and pays the penalty for sin, for the wages of sin is death. And despite the fact that Jesus said, I will rise again, it's as if the disciples just missed that. I mean, We could kind of understand, like, who rises again, but Jesus did. And on that third day, so he crucified on a Friday, buried, you had a Friday night, Saturday, early Sunday morning, why some women and some of the disciples, they discovered that the tomb of Jesus is empty. And Jesus then started making 
appearances, two different ones. And these reports started coming back, and they were all gathered in some large home. Perhaps it was a wealthy believer. We don't know. But it became kind of like, like the headquarters, and people were like, oh, I've seen Jesus. Wait, the t- we saw the empty tomb. And then remember, like we saw last week, there was Cleopas and a friend. We don't know who that friend was. Remember they were on, on a road to Emmaus, and Jesus appears to him, explains the scriptures, remember? And when he breaks bread, then they're like, their eyes were opened, and they saw Jesus. Well, they make their way back. And so it's one story after another. And that leads us then to verse 36 in chapter 24. While they were telling these things, he himself stood in their midst and said to them, peace be to you. With each story, like hope was growing. They were like, whoa. And then in the midst, they're absolutely startled they discover that Jesus is right there with them. In fact, he says, peace be with you, shalom. It's a prayer asking God to give them peace. And he is the definition of peace. And they cannot believe their eyes. And notice how troubled they were. They were just startled. They couldn't, like, Jesus didn't walk through the door. He didn't knock. It's like he walked through the walls and all of a sudden... There he is. And so verse 37, but they were startled and frightened and thought that they were seeing a spirit. And so even though many of the Jewish people believed in a literal heaven, literal hell, there were some that just like, well, ghosts exist. Apparitions could happen. And they especially thought that right after a person died, there would be some sort of like appearances, like, like apparitions where they could actually see the individual or that deceased person will show up like in their dreams. Well, here they are, and they're like, oh, what is it? what's going on here? And they're startled, and they're frightened. And notice, they thought they were seeing a spirit. And he said to them, verse 38, Why are you troubled, and why do doubts arise in your hearts? Why are you troubled? Here is Jesus, and he, he has this body that literally can be on a road, outside of Maus, all of a sudden... Instantly, he can just walk through a wall, and there he can appear. And he appears to them, and they're like, what? It's a ghost. And he's like, then he starts speaking to them. Why are you troubled? Why do doubts arise in your hearts? And then notice verse 39, he says, See my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Touch me and see For a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. Jesus is not some sort of disembodied spirit. This same Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified on a cross, why, here he is, and he is in human form. They can see him, hear him, touch him. They're watching him breathe. And they simply are just coming unraveled. Jesus has now a body that is no longer subject to death or decay. They recognize him. I mean, he's about 30-something when he was crucified. And yet he is strong, whole, healed. And he's appearing to them. And he's, and he's showing them. He's, he's saying, listen, a spirit doesn't have flesh and bones as you see I have. And so then he says, listen, I want you to do this. Verse 40, when he said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. When they did that, 
why they would see the nail scars, large nails that fastened him to a cross just three days earlier. They would look at his feet, and he'd show them where his he'd been pierced through with these large a large nail that went through it. And yet, though they could have the, there was the hole, he was healed, strong, well, not affected in any way about it. He's not a ghost. He's corporeal in nature, and they can see him. And so the physical nature of Jesus in this resurrected body is appearing to them. And now, remember, the apostles, they had actually uh, seen people raised from the dead on three different occasions. Remember that? Remember there was that one girl that Jesus raised from the dead, the widow's son outside of Nain. Remember that at that funeral procession? Jesus raised him from the dead. And then, of course, the one that's probably the most familiar with you is a guy by the name of Lazarus, right? But you see, those individuals, they were brought back to life. They were dead. They were brought back to life only to die again. Not Jesus. Jesus will never die. He has a resurrected body, a body fit for eternity, fit for heaven. In fact, you need to know that the body that Jesus has that will never break down, that will be able to be fit for eternity... You and I, we will receive such a body. In fact, Paul writes about this in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 42 through 44. He says, So also is the resurrection of the dead. It is sown a perishable body. It is raised an imperishable body. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. It is, if there is a natural body, there will also be a spiritual body. I want you to know that the resurrection of Jesus and resurrection itself is at the heart of Christianity. Dr. John Stott said this, Christianity in its very essence is a resurrection religion. The concept of resurrection lies at its heart. If you remove it, Christianity is destroyed. If you remove the resurrection, there is no Christianity. That is the the reality. You see, his resurrection showed that Jesus is indeed God, that he is the one who is the complete sacrifice, and his finished work on the cross finished it all. It demonstrates that he is the Lord of all, and he is the coming judge. All of this is because of the resurrection. But if Jesus hasn't been risen from the dead, if he didn't appear in bodily form, I got news for you. If you consider yourself a Christian, your faith is absolutely worthless. Right now, you are wasting your time. This is you're playing some sort of religious game. In fact, Paul writes about this in 1 Corinthians 15, remember 13 through 17? Let me read you verse 13. It says this. If there is no resurrection of the dead, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain, and your faith also is vain. But then remember how he ended it? And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is worthless. You are still in your sins. But here is the glorious reality. Jesus is resurrected from the dead. And those that know him and follow him as Lord, I want you to know they're absolutely convinced. You ever taken some time just to look at the persecuted church 
oh, I know that, you know, here we are in America, and, and we got enough difficulty, so we try to kind of almost avoid things like that, right? But let me just help you understand what it means to be a Christian in this world, in this present day. According to Open Doors Ministry, so this is just as of this past week, and I was doing some research on this, did you know that one in seven Christians are persecuted worldwide? One in seven. Do you know that one in five Christians are persecuted in Africa? That two in five Christians are persecuted in Asia? In fact, there are over 360 million Christians who suffer high levels of persecution because of their faith in Christ. Last year... 5,621 believers in Christ died for their faith. They were killed. 90% of those happened to be in Nigeria, okay? I mean, like, just this past week. Now, this never gets reported on mainstream news, right? But let me give you some kingdom news. In Pakistan, in Jaranwala, there is a seminary student that has given us reports, and, it's, and, the, and now you can start, if you do some research, you can start finding out what had happened. But just in this past week, uh, there were 25 churches that were looted and then burned down. And the hundreds of homes of Christians were uh, basically taken over by these mob of Muslim terrorists or however they're functioning. They're doing this in the name of Allah. And they went and destroyed all these homes and all these churches. After they took all the stuff, they took flammable liquid, and they burned them to the ground. And then, you know, of course, the number one, you know, like, persecutor of the church, the country, North Korea. And they have their new anti-reactionary thought law, okay? If you, if they even suspect that you have a Bible, or that you are a follower of Jesus, that is going to lead you being brought into one of their prison camps. Not only you, your family, very possibly even your extended family. And you'll not emerge from these seriously, just extremely difficult situation. And then you've got North Korea, but then you've got China. China is using digital surveillance technology for persecuting Christians. Now, the, the church is really on the rise in terms of people and believers coming to know Christ in China. And so they're trying to clamp down. And so what they're using is all this digital surveillance technology. They're spreading disinformation. Uh, they're censoring. They have unblinking surveillance. And they are identifying Christians, pastors. And all of a sudden, they just kind of show up and they take over. They're destroying churches. They're incarcerating people. And it is, it is pretty widespread persecution. And it's interesting, this is what they do. Anybody that refuses to support the ruling party, they are labeled as troublemakers, disturbers of the peace, even terrorists. And I want you to watch what is starting to happen even in our own country. They're using the exact same terms. And it's interesting, authoritarian, authoritarian governments in the world who are no fans of Christianity they're realizing that China seems to be pretty successful in doing this, and they're starting to take on the same tactics. You're like, why would people be willing to suffer like that? I'll give you one answer. They are convinced of the resurrection of Jesus. I mean, think of this group of men and women that are gathered. Many of them are going to face a very difficult life. 
all of the apostles, with the exception of John, are going to die a martyr's death in a horrific fashion. Why would these men and women be willing to suffer, be displaced, and killed? There's only one explanation. They know Jesus is Lord, and they're convinced of his resurrection. Let me give you another characteristic that Jesus is developing in those who know him as Lord. They are committed to his word. So take a look here as we're looking at this this text here. Uh, Jesus is making these appearances to them. Remember uh, in verse 40, he shows them as their hands and feet. Verse 41, while they were still, they could not believe it because of their joy and amazement. He said to them, you know, have you anything to eat here? And they gave him a piece of broiled fish and he took it and ate it before them. Now, why did he do that? It's because he is demonstrating that he is fully human and yet fully God. A ghost, a spirit, an angel, they can't eat, but Jesus, on the other hand, he is resurrected, and he is demonstrating that indeed he's alive from the dead. He is resurrected. And the second trait that Jesus starts developing in those who follow him as Lord is that they are committed to his word. Take a look at verse 44. Now he said to them, These are my words which I spoke to you while I was still with you, that all things which are written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. So here, notice what he's doing. Jesus is saying, Do you recall my words? And then he, noted, he, he notes While I was still with you, all that is written about me in the law of Moses, prophets, and the Psalms, that is a way of describing the entire whole Old Testament. The Hebrew scriptures, he says, all of this must be fulfilled. And then notice what he does in verse 45. Like, I've underlined this. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. He opened their minds. That's exactly what Jesus did with those two that were on that road to Emmaus. And I want you to know that that's exactly what Jesus does even to this day. The, the disciples in Luke chapter 9, they were dull in hearing. They had a hardness of heart. Even though Jesus, after the transfiguration, was telling them that the Son of Man is going to be handed over, crucified, he's going to die, but he's going to be raised again, They didn't get it. They didn't understand it. But now Jesus opens their minds to understand the scriptures. That's what God does in your life if you know Jesus. I saw that in me. I went from a time where I I could really care less what's in the Bible. No big deal. Not interested. Right? Many, many people are there, right? You know, like, not... I'm really not interested in the Bible, could care less. I mean, even folks that sit through church services, you know, it's like, oh, when is this over, right? But then when Jesus, though, gets a hold of your heart and you realize the wonders of his salvation, that you can really be forgiven and you can personally know him as Lord of your life, you know what happens? There develops a commitment to his word. His word, it's just like now, is alive in your heart. And you will find among genuine Christians, there is a desire to know this book, even what we might call an insatiable desire to know the truth of his word. Where does that come from? Who does that? God does. Jesus cultivates in the lives of those who know him as Lord a commitment 
to his word. And when he's talking about this, and he, he's telling them, he opened their minds to understand the scriptures, and he said to them, verse 46, look at this. Thus it is written about the Christ, that the Christ would suffer and rise again from the dead the third day, and that repentance for forgiveness of sins would be proclaimed in his name to all the nations beginning from Jerusalem. You see, he helps them to understand that everything in the Old Testament is written about me. Just like George covered last week, remember when we were talking about those folks, those two guys, or maybe even a guy and a gal, husband and wife, we don't know, on the road to Emmaus? Think of it. He kind of just traced how, like the Messiah would come from the line of Abraham, he would be from the tribe of Judah, that he would be from the line of David, that he'd be born of a virgin, born in Bethlehem, that he would be betrayed by a close and trusted friend, that he'd be beaten, spit on, that his beard would be plucked out, that soldiers would gamble for his clothing, that he'd be crucified, that he'd be pierced, that a death, his death would be vicarious, and that he would rise from the dead, like it talks about in Psalm 16.10 or Isaiah 53.10, and that he would be the one who would establish the promised new covenant. You see, all of this points to him. And Jesus is opening their minds. It's that supernatural work where they can understand the word and how the word points to him. And that's what fuels our faith. You see, the believers were not sent into the world to just share their experiences. They are eyewitnesses, and this is all part of God's sovereign plan, that there would be many, over 500 eyewitnesses to the resurrection of Jesus, saw him, touched him, watched him even eat food in front of them. But really the emphasis and what you see Jesus doing here is to help them put their faith in his word because his word points to the reality of who he is. And so that's what's being here. And that's what we do. Our faith isn't in our experiences. Our faith is in God and the word that he has given us. And so he spends time explaining the scriptures, calming their fears, forgiving their sins, solidifying their faith, and pointing out that it is written that the Christ would suffer and rise again from the dead the third day. That is what was pointed out in the scriptures. That's what Jesus kept saying, and it must be done. And that repentance for forgiveness of sins would be claimed in his name to all the nations. You see that, verse 47? Where does that begin? In Jerusalem. Starting in Jerusalem, the word is to go out. The gospel is to be proclaimed. And I want you to take careful note what Jesus says, that repentance for forgiveness of sins would be proclaimed in his name. What is repentance? Repentance is a change of mind that leads to a change of heart and direction. Uh, it was used like in the military, like, like an about face, to turn 180 degrees. You once were going one direction, now you've repented. You're going to a different direction. But it's more than just like, well, I've got a change of mind about who Jesus is. Inherent to repentance is both a remorse for your sin, but also a belief in Jesus as the resurrected Lord. It's not that you're like, ah, oh, I feel bad that... I got caught about these things. I'm kind of feeling guilty. But no, it's more of a a brokenness over sin. And it's a belief in Christ and Jesus, that he alone is the Savior. And he says, I want this word to go forth to all the nations. You see that? 
beginning from Jerusalem. You see, what Jesus is doing is he is establishing the absolute importance of putting your faith and commitment to his word. Because it's the word that points us to Christ and we put our trust and faith in him. But this isn't new. This is how Jesus did his entire ministry. You remember in Luke chapter 6, where we have kind of like the version of the Sermon on the Mount, but it's like the Sermon on the Plain. There are a lot of similarities. Do you remember how that ended? Jesus said, Luke six forty six, Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? Why? Why do you call me Lord? You got the right words, maybe even sing the song, but, but you really don't follow what I say. And then Jesus went on to say this, everyone who comes to me and hears my words and acts on them. Did you notice that progression? He comes to me, hears my words, and acts on them. I will show you whom he is like. He's like a man building a house who dug deep and laid a foundation on the rock. And when a flood occurred, the torrent burst against that house and could not shake it because it had been well built. See, that's what Jesus desires, that you would be wise, that you and I would build our life upon him, the rock. And how do you do that? You come to him, you hear his words, and you act on them. There is a commitment to his word. But on the other hand, there are those who, like he says in verse 49, but one who has heard and has not acted accordingly is like a man who built a house on the ground without any foundation. And the torrent, the flood, burst against it, and immediately it collapsed, and the ruin of that house was great. You see, Jesus is developing the characteristic of an absolute commitment to his word to those who really know him as Lord. Let me give you a third characteristic that Jesus develops, and that is that they are commissioned with his gospel. You see that verse 48? Look at it. You are witnesses of these things. You are the witnesses of these things. Really, Luke uh, 24, 46 through 49 is, is really the great commission, like we see in Matthew chapter 28 or John 20 or Mark 16. It is the great commission. And Jesus is saying this, you who know me as the resurrected Lord, you are commissioned with this gospel. He says you are witnesses. The Greek word is martus. It's where we get our word martyr from. You are witnesses. What does a witness do? Well, like in a court of law, a witness just what? Tells the truth. Tells what they saw, what they experienced, what they heard. They just speak the truth. That's what we are commissioned to be. We're commissioned with his gospel to speak the good news the truth of his word. And he says, verse 48, you are witnesses to these things. It's interesting, this word witness, uh, a form of this word occurs 29 times in the book of Acts. So Luke obviously wrote the gospel of Luke. He also wrote the book of Acts. And 29 times he uses a version of this word to just show this is what those who believe and know Jesus as Lord do. They bear testimony. They give witness I mean, think of, uh, think of something really troubling, like cancer. As I was driving in this morning, <laughs> cancer like, just kind of came across my mind again. I hate cancer. 
It has caused a lot of heartache and destruction in people I love. Some of you are knowing this on a firsthand basis. But let's say there was a cure for cancer. Like, it had been developed, discovered, tested, and it worked 100% of the time. If you knew someone that had cancer and you knew the cure to cancer, how eager would you be to make sure that they had that information and, and got the treatment? Would you be just like partially interested? If you approached them and said, hey, listen, I know you're really sick, but there has been this cure and, and it, it's 100% effective. And if the person said, well, I'm not really interested, like, oh no, you are interested. You just don't know, right? You would be a pretty good ambassador for the treatment, Right? So when it comes to the gospel, think of it. There is but one savior for sin. His name is Jesus Christ. He has demonstrated that he is the living God by even being resurrected from the dead. We bear witness in the testimony of our lives and in the sharing of the gospel that Jesus and Jesus alone is the Lord of the universe. He forgives sins. He transforms lives. And though I'm not perfect... I am an example of what God can do taking a life from death to life. And those who actually know Jesus as Lord, one of the characteristics that Jesus develops is that they're commissioned with this gospel. And let me give you a fourth. They also were clothed with his power. Take a look here at verse 49. And then Jesus says, And behold, I'm sending forth the promise of my Father upon you, but you are to stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. Here, Jesus is pointing out, listen, this whole idea of you being witnesses, I want you to know that you're probably not going to do a real good job on that, apart from me. That is why I'm going to clothe you with my power. Uh, To this whole word picture that's being this idea of clothed with power comes from when they would, a, a commissioning ceremony of a government official, and they put this robe on them. But Jesus doesn't put some sort of like physical robe on us. He places his Holy Spirit in our lives. Remember John the Baptist at the very beginning, the prophet of the Messiah? And he says, hey, listen, I'm nothing. One is going to come. I'm not even unfit to untie a sandal. And he's going to baptize you with fire and the Holy Spirit. Remember that? And Jesus is saying, listen, you guys, you hang tight because I'm going to clothe you with my power, the power of the Holy Spirit, so that you will be able to do as I have asked, to carry forth the gospel, to make disciples of all the nations, And so witnessing is not something that we do for the Lord. Like, I just got to witness for the Lord, man. That's that's what I got to do. No, witnessing is something the Lord does through us as we're dependent upon him. Sharing the testimony of the gospel, what God has done in our life, the truths and the realities of what it means to know Christ, the truth of the scripture, I want you to know we're not making sales pitch We're not like trying to work someone over where they're just like crying uncle, like, okay, okay, stop. Just what do you want me to say? And I'll say it so we can be done with this. We're not, we don't lead people to Jesus by winning an argument like we're playing chess. Like, oh, you think you're smart? Well, I got the right Bible verses here. Checkmate. You got nowhere to go, right? So you may as well believe, right? That's not how it works. We're just simply bearing testimony. And we're doing so under the power of the Holy Spirit. Uh, 
you don't have to be brilliant, but you do have to be bold. And if you're like, you want an example of what, it, what this really looks like? Just look at John chapter 1, like verses 40 through 42. I looked at it this morning. You know what Andrew did to bring Peter to Jesus? Pretty much just that. He told him what he saw in Jesus. This is the one we've been waiting for. And he simply just brought him to Jesus. Let God do the work, and he does. He closes with the power of his Holy Spirit. I want you to know that spiritual ministry requires spiritual power. So if you're trying to do your ministry or the ministry in your strength, whether sharing a testimony or living out your life in Christ at school or on the job or at home, or you've got a ministry in our church or outside these walls, if you're doing it in your own strength, that's not God's ministry. That's some sort of like you're doing. But when we're dependent upon God, and it's all about him and his glory, why, that's the spirit at work, and God is accomplishing his work. But we need his power, don't we? I mean, you can't drive a car without fuel. You can't actually uh, operate a power tool without electricity. A hydroelectric dam with no water is of no use, right? Well, the same was said, it could be said of Christians. We need his spiritual power, to do as he's asked. We'll never make disciples. We'll never share the gospel apart from the power of Christ. But that's the beauty of knowing Jesus as Lord. He clothes us with his power. And the final characteristic that Jesus develops among those who know him as Lord is that they're communing with him in worship. Take a look at verse 50. And he led them out as far as Bethany, and he lifted up his hands and he blessed them. Let me uh, tell you what took place here. So from the time that Jesus starts making these resurrection appearances, there's about 50 days to Pentecost, okay? And it's during this time, like Acts chapter 1, verse 3, it says this, to these he also presented himself alive after his suffering by many convincing proofs, appearing to them over a period of 40 days and speaking of the things concerning the kingdom of God. And so that's what he's doing. There are many times that he gives appearances and he's teaching them about the kingdom of God and how God is going to use them in the forwarding of his kingdom in his strength. But then this event takes place that we just saw here in verse 50. He led them out as far as Bethany. So Bethany is outside of Jerusalem. It's, uh, it's uh, kind of on the slopes of the Mount of Olives. Bethany is, by the way, where Mary, Martha, and Lazarus, remember the guy was, that was brought back from the dead? That's where they live. It's where Jesus spent several of his nights right before he went to the cross. It's a very significant place. This is where the glory of God left the temple, went to this place, and ascended. It is, by the way, where Jesus is going to return. Zechariah chapter 14, verse 4, in this exact same place. And he leads them, and he leads them out, which means that there was very likely many people that saw the disciples and Jesus walking out of Jerusalem, because it says he led them out as far as Bethany. Can you see it? Like, I, th- I think that, those are those disciples. Wait, wait, who, who is that guy in the middle? That, is, that, is that Jesus? Wait, people keep saying that he's, he's alive. Is, is, that, is that him? And he leads them out, and notice what he does. He lifted up his hands and he blessed them. And while he was blessing them, 
He parted from them and was carried up into heaven. And they, after worshiping him, returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple praising God. Let me tell you a fifth characteristic that Jesus develops in those who know him as Lord. They're communing with him with worship. Do you see that? He's ascended into heaven and they are led to worship him who they no longer see but know that he's alive. And that's exactly what you find even today. We don't see the resurrected Jesus, but we worship him. We commune with him. We recognize that he's ascended into heaven. He's the Lord of the church. He is giving his Holy Spirit. He's bringing people into his kingdom. And he's given us this mission to bring the gospel to all of the world. And he's filling our hearts with worship. You see, worship is the response of a heart that loves Christ. And you see these people, look at verse 53, they're continually in the temple praising God. This isn't a group of people that looks like, oh, they're just abandoned and just totally fearful. No, these are people that know that Jesus is alive and he's Lord of their lives. And friends, that's what God wants us to do. He wants us to personally know Jesus and grow in our worship of him. Let that begin like each day, as soon as you can, would you just greet the Lord Jesus? Just, just thank him for the day. Acknowledge his lordship. Just, just express a brief prayer. But God not only wants us to know him, he wants us to grow deep in him. And that's what we're doing here at Fellowship. We're on a journey to maturity. In fact, next week, we're going to start that journey to maturity going through the book of 2 Timothy. We want to know Jesus deeply and intimately and fully. We want to know what does the lordship of Jesus Christ look like in our lives. And so together as a church, we're going to do this. And I encourage you, if you haven't signed up for a group, if you haven't picked up a book, whether you're in a group or not, please do, because we want to give you these 14 skills that are going to cultivate maturity in Christ in your life. But know this, knowing Jesus is Lord is to be a growing reality in our lives. And this morning, I'd like to uh, introduce, perhaps for some of you for the first time, but many of you do know Jeff Lark. Jeff and Natalie have been serving with Crew Ministries, and Jeff and Natalie have been a part of our church, but here is a man who knows Jesus as Lord and is so compelled by this reality that he's given his life, he and Natalie, to see the gospel go forth and people know the lordship of Jesus around the world. So, Jeff, so glad to have you at Fellowship. Welcome. Thank you. Some of you I do know, many of you I don't. And so I wanted to briefly introduce myself to you and then tell you a little bit about what, what I do and maybe even more importantly why I do what I do. And so my wife, Natalie, and I were here. This is a little bit of an older picture of us. Um, we a little bit more current. Our, our, the youngest there is now driving as of two days ago. So that tells you a little bit about uh, the age of that picture. But um, we were here from 2003 to 2008 when I led the, the ministry at Baylor with Crew. And so I'm on staff with Crew. We came on staff in 1994 with Crew. And over the last 15 years, we, we moved to Austin. And I've been helping to give leadership to theological development for Crew. And um, as I think about why I do what I do, though, I think of two words, feast and famine. And we usually think of feast or famine, but there is both a feast and a famine going on in the world right now. And so this next slide 
represents the, the red is the global south, that people talk about the global south, and there is something absolutely phenomenal going on right now as the resurrected, uh, resurrected and ascended Lord is ruling over his church, and he's sending his spirit in miraculous ways throughout the globe, particularly in the global south. And these are countries that, some of which um, were mentioned earlier in the sermon that Grant mentioned. Africa and, and, and Asia or China, where God is doing miraculous things. In fact, in China today, 20,000 people will probably come to Christ because that's the daily average. Around the globe, again, particularly in the global south, there are 50,000 baptized believers a day. God is doing something. In fact, the next slide will show a little bit about the trends. From about 1900, 82% of the world's Christians lived in what would be considered the global north. And 18% lived in the global south. And that is totally reversed today, 120 years later, to where in the global, global north, 33% of the world's Christians live. And now in the global south, 67% of the world's Christians live. And that's only, only continued to grow, will continue to grow. But the famine is this, is that in America... Let's just say there is, there is one trained, biblically, theologically, seminary trained pastor for every 230 believers. In the global south is where the famine is. There's one theologically seminary trained pastor and leader for every 450,000 believers. There is a famine. As, the, as, there is, as they are in the midst of a feast, there is also a famine going on, and that's why I do what I do. So I help to train, biblically, theologically train pastors and leaders around the globe so that they can feast on God's word and provide a feast for their people. And I just want to say thanks. Fellowship is a supporting church of ours for, since we were here um, and I just want to say thanks. You guys have been a part of that with us. And you guys have been a part of helping to provide a feast to people around the globe, pastors and leaders around the globe, so that they can provide a feast for others. So thank you. Well, I want you to know, Jeff and Natalie have given their lives so that people can truly know the wonders of Jesus as Lord of their lives. And we too. God intends to use us. So would you join me as we pray for all of us and for Jeff and Natalie? So let's take a minute to do just that. Lord, we come before you this morning, and you are God, and Jesus is Lord. And Father, we thank you that you have brought us from death to life. And if there's someone here today who has never truly trusted you, would they pray with me now and say, God, right now I turn from myself and my sin. I repent. And I put my faith in Christ. I need forgiveness. I need your life. I need your lordship in my heart. And God, for those of us who do know you, help us to walk in your ways, to represent you well in this generation to be unashamed of the gospel, to take full advantage of the opportunities we have to grow and to show the loveliness of Jesus. And Lord, we thank you for Jeff and Natalie. We thank you that they have spent their entire adult lives bringing the gospel to the lost around the world.
training and developing leaders so that they can feed the flock, make disciples, they're equipped so they can equip the saints to do the work of ministry. And so, Lord, I pray that you would richly provide for them in every respect. May they know your goodness, your supply, your joy, and your encouragement. And Lord, we pray all this as we go forth from here. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, Jeff. Really appreciate you.